0: We'll Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm your sure I may not have a job, but I sure have fun host Cam Harless. And joining me today as my co-hosts are two people because I thought both of them could bring something really fun and cool to the table. And I know how excited Ryan is. So uh, tonight I've got Ryan Burgett being one of my my wonderful guest co-hosts, as well as uh, my buddy Zachary coop cooper and i i gave i gave ryan a nickname too but i forgot to say it just now which is ryan loves creed uh Burger. so right on <laughs> and who right doesn't on. love creed to be honest yeah. i am trying to get in touch with scott stapp so that i can have him on the show and it's i've i've no had no luck yet but i'm gonna figure it out mark tremonti
1: um, is a great guitarist
0: he is that is true. Uh, but uh, before we get to the show, like, I'm really excited about this show because um, I, I heard of our guest when I was reading a book called The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser, which is like a, a paradigm-shattering book when you're reading these concepts for the first <laughs> time. These theological concepts just break. Like the idea of there being, uh, we'll get into it more, but the idea of there being watchers and just any spiritual being watching just freaks me out. So like, you know, I getting past that learning has been, was really cool, but uh, this dude writes a lot of books. So, but before we get to that, um, I do wanna let everyone know this show is 100% brought to you by the fans, all six of you. fans and patrons so like hit hit like subscribe share the show with your friends there are all sorts of topics we've covered and it's just going to keep going we're just going to keep talking to people that i want to talk to and have fun with um it was so cool because when i was talking to Coop earlier today he was so excited about this episode and i'm like that's me every week i am every week
1: i, I really i truly truly am like uh, <laughs> this is you know as i was studying mr Godawas. was uh just reading up on his page and looking at some of the things he put out there. And there's a book of his because I run an apologetic circles I had already heard about. And I was just like, that is so cool. I, I can't, you know, that's, I'm excited about this now. You know.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I, I have something like that for myself every week and it's gonna connect with someone every week, I hope. Uh, but if you wanna help us out, if you want to join uh, my mission, you can go to patreon.com slash the mad ones and support us there. Uh, we also do, you know, Zoom Hangouts stuff like that in, in the interim when I'm not making horrible content that no one likes but me. Um, but uh, if you would like to help in another way, we do. I do make shirts. I'm going to be dropping a new tank top in the next couple of hours, um, which is going to be exciting. Ryan may not like tank tops as much as I do, but there's an inside joke tank top, and you're going to love it. Um, so that's it. That's all I've got. Uh, hit like, subscribe, do all the things. Share with your friends. Just share with your friends. It'll help us all out. But let's get to the meat and bones meat and bones, meat and potatoes. Either way, there's meat. Um, joining us tonight is a man who who may somehow have written more books than N.T. Wright at this point, and I don't know how that's possible. Um, he, he has written a myriad of books. He does lectures. He talks about the most interesting and thing in the world, at least to me. Uh, so joining us tonight is the screenwriter of To End All Wars, starring Kiefer Sutherland, the author of The Nephilim Chronicles, as well as so many other books, and a guy I definitely want to be friends with, uh, Mr. Brian Godawa. How are you doing? Hey! <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend.
2: He's <laughs> here. Oh, no by sense. the way, by the way, but technically, if you, if, if you divide up NT Wright's 800 page books into more reasonable page number books, he'll, he'll have more books than me.
0: That's true.
1: He mean, the, humility, the humility is <laughs> awesome. <Yeah. laughs>
0: so, no, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you. Like I said, briefly in the intro. I read uh, The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser a couple of years ago. And around the same time, I heard, I think Ryan told me, oh, there's a guy named Brian Godawa who writes books based on, you know, the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, Gen- uh, Genesis 6. And I was like, that's fascinating. I need to read that. But I'm way too ADHD to actually get around to doing anything. Uh, but I i recently dug into it and read Noah Primeval and I was thrilled the whole time I was reading that book, Brian. Like, I am duly impressed. And I, you said you haven't thought about it in 10 years. And I'm like, this is new to me. How could this be 10 years for, for you <laughs> since you've thought of it? Um, but thank you for coming on the show. And I don't know if there's anything else you want to tell people about yourself before we kind of dive into the the conversation. But
2: No, oh, that's good. Yeah, well, um, actually, I also um discovered michael heiser but i discovered him before he was famous because he was actually just um i don't know where he was in his scholarly career but he was working at logos i think uh bible bible software company and um i i actually discovered his the the unseen realm online before it was called unseen realm it was called the myth that was true i think something like that and um, he was just working on it over a few years, you know. And uh, so it was just free online PDF. And I'm like, oh, this is cool, you know. And I was doing the research for um, for a movie script actually about Noah that I was working on. And um, that's when I I discovered that his his work and it just transformed my whole understanding mm. of the Bible without uh, you know without changing you know uh, Yahweh and God in the center of it, etc. But but um, and and it explained it was the first really sort of uh, evangelical and orthodox uh, a- attempt at explaining a lot of the weird stuff that I had read in the Bible because i had been a Christian for decades and so, um, you know I was familiar with all the weird passages right and and you know the yeah the uh uh. uh all of them from genesis 6 1 to 4 that was the most weird that was the weirdest one of all right yeah but um a lot of the occultic ones and stuff like that and so um his his work actually was the inspiration for me in writing the whole all my series you know so his theologies would open my eyes like elisha's ser, or elisha's ser, servant you know opened his eyes that he might see the heavenly realm and stuff and and when it did that and then plus he brought out this storyline of of the Nephilim and how it yeah. wasn't just these aren't just oddities, but they're all connected in a storyline, and that was what blew my mind. That made me go, "Oh, there's more here than than this not Noah novel." Uh, well, it was a, it was a script at first, and I found out Darren Aronofsky was was making his movie, and I I knew okay, I'm not going to be able to I'm not going to be able to get my movie made. So <laughs> right. I just converted it into a novel in order to beat him to the punch, you know. <laughs> and um because i was worried that maybe you know maybe that he would have had some similar things that i discovered and of course he didn't <laughs> thank so god the, no, good the good guys the good
3: guys protecting everyone from god yes I mean, exactly Talk yeah. about
2: flipping things The rock monsters and yeah <laughs> so um uh
0: I have to but, know what you thought of that though when you did oh. you when you saw that movie like what was your what, what was your with his
3: herb. Noah with his bow and arrow going through the, through the woods at the beginning.
2: Hunting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the visual side of that was cool. Right. Cause I mean, yeah. you know, in some ways I, yeah, the visualization of that was cool. And, um, I, I that, you know, um, but I actually had gotten a hold of the script, um, when it was being made. So I wrote a article on it that went viral on Breitbart. And it was an analysis of the script, you know, and and basically, you know, I could see right off the bat that it was a environmentalist um, parable, turning the Noah story into an environmentalist parable. So it was was earth worship. And so um, I wrote all about that and it got, you know, got a lot of attention and stuff. So I believe um, I read that. <laughs> yeah, you probably did because it got out there because uh, it was you know, the debate was big was huge about Noah. Yeah. Of course, that wasn't even in some ways, well, that was, uh, yeah, of course, that is the one of the worst components of it. But obviously making God out to be or making Noah out to be more compassionate than the Creator, you know, and uh, and making him a crazy madman and all that kind of stuff, you know, obviously. but, But the deeper uh, philosophy of what was going on there was definitely rooted in his atheistic uh, environment, uh, Mm. uh, earth worship, you know? So
0: he's he's obsessed with biblical themes, though. Like, I haven't watched Mother, but everything that I've heard about that is just he's trying to retell Genesis in different ways, but making it awful and atheistic.
2: Yeah. Well, he reminds me a lot of Paul Schrader. You know, Paul Schrader is a. Uh, You know, he's the guy that wrote Taxi Driver from, you know, obviously so long ago, but it's (laughs) such a classic. And then he ended up, um, even more recent years, he's done um, uh, The Exorcist 3, which was actually pretty good. And uh, he also writes from, he was a Christian uh, at one time, some kind of a Christian, and uh, he's rejected it all, but he also puts in these religious themes as well. And sometimes they're they're just there. They're, they're positive. But in more recent years, I've noticed his films become more negative about, about the faith, you know? And uh, so, yeah, there are, there are, uh, yeah, there are, there are many, <laughs> many people in in Hollywood who are making movies and they are deeply influenced by uh, scriptural themes, even if they're not Christians,
0: for sure. Yeah. So let continue. I'm sorry. I just, When I think of Aronofsky now, I'm like, wow, what a terrible understanding of scripture that man has. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. He doesn't make a lot of good movies either. I mean, some of them have been good. The Wrestler was good, but um, a lot of his stuff is just sort of uh, self-indulgence and such. And I actually thought Mother was pretty self-indulgent. you know, it, there was some creativity to it, et cetera. But yeah, it was definitely a, an attempt to smash the patriarchy, which is what the Bible is, you know, that kind of thing. So. <laughs> hey,
3: uh, want to bring up, this was my first book that I read Hollywood worldviews back in 2002. I bought it when it came out. It was at the Christian bookstore. I thought that looks interesting. I read that. <laughs> it was the first but, one of its kind. That was wonderful, man. But as I was rereading it, you know, in preparation for, for us talking here, it was fun because I was reminded of how many of the themes of that stuck with me all this time. I loved how you talked about art. <laughs> you talked about how basically all art comes from you know, uh, it's the image of God inside of us, you know. And art is kind of how we let that out. So how when you look at art, any type of art, good art, bad art, this art, that art, all art, you could find those elements of you know of our of God inside of it. You yeah. Know? that was cool and that's been my philosophy ever since then as i'm mm-hmm. watching things mm-hmm. listening to things like finding those even if they're trying to tell the wrong message <laughs> you know you can find the good stuff yeah. but also story i love your passion for storytelling like the whole concept of of traditional story arc you know yeah. Yeah. and redemption and a hero who learns something along the way and because of what he learns you know you reach the end of the movie like that's good
0: mm-hmm. but uh
3: yeah, great movie or great book. I still judge movies based on your criteria you gave in here.
2: <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, you know, it's funny because that was at a time when I was uh, I was developing my aesthetic, which is my philosophy of beauty uh, as it applies to my art. And um, yeah. I, I've been a visual artist, not just a writer. So I've been a visual artist all my life. And uh, in fact, I, that's why I got my degree in was in illustration. But um, <clears throat> so so I do have an appreciation for that. Um, but uh, the, the thing about it is that I, you know, at the time there weren't, weren't really, there's a lot of books like that now out, but yeah. at the time there wasn't any. And I was working out my aesthetic, and what that means is I was studying storytelling in Hollywood in order to better my craft in, in screenwriting at the time. And so all the story gurus, you know, they kind of all they're saying the same thing, with but with different words and overlays and overlappings and stuff like that. My conclusion is that they all fit together, so they're not, they're not all that different. However, um, my my desire was to understand it in relation to the Bible, in relation to God's word and mm-hmm. and Him as Creator, and that's that's where I finally discovered my began to discover my. Uh, understanding of God's imagination in the scriptures and how a lot of what these Hollywood storytellers are saying is actually rooted in um, a Western, which is Western storytelling, which is rooted in, by and large, the Bible, right? Hmm. Judeo-Christianity. And so that's why the Western storytelling paradigm is so powerful is precisely because it has those redemptive um, arcs and 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 sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. And so, in some ways, um, the actual structure of storytelling itself is an apologetic for God, you know? In yeah. other words, if you were to tell a story that were would reflect your, if you're an atheist and you try to tell a story that reflects your belief that ultimately, uh, design is an illusion and everything at base is, is randomness and, chaos and chance, right? If you were to tell a story that, it would not be an interesting story because it, it would be random and chance, right? And so even the act of, of crafting a story reflects God's creative nature in the way that he also, through his providence, creates characters. He's the God of history, right? He, he, is, he is sovereign. He is telling his story, and he's he's um, interacting with his creatures, and they have they ha- their characters in the story, and they have true value and dignity. However, he's still ultimately the one in control, exactly like I am when I'm writing my stories, right? And they have their free will as creatures, but uh mystically speaking you know, right god is still the one in control somehow he's the one sovereign and that's how i am when i'm writing my story i'm i'm you know um i'm letting the characters be who they are but i, I created them who they are to begin with you know so yeah. it's just yeah it's an, it's it, w- it was an interesting time of my life where i was uh putting that stuff down you know and then later on in more recent years i i've written a couple books about uh, one called the imagination of god And the other one is called um, God Against the Gods. And those are looking at the Bible itself and examining its creative structure and storytelling and such. And that's where I developed the next sort of phase of my understanding, which is this notion of subversion and incarnation. So two, Mm. two approaches in storytelling particularly, but I think it applies to art, is incarnation that is the story incarnates your worldview or your meaning that you're trying to communicate. Right. And this is, you know, and, and, and how to do that is, is the difficulty. Right. But it's in the same way that Jesus is the word incarnate, right. He's, he's both image and word, right. Equalized. Well, that's what I was trying to develop. And and also to understand how there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of pagan imagery there's a lot of pagan imagery in the Bible, but it's been it's been appropriated by God and reused and reinvested with new meaning for his own purposes mm. such as one of my classic examples which I've written a whole book on now is Leviathan and behemoth right but you know many Christians <laughs> believe Leviathan is a dinosaur or or just a, a symbol or whatever but Um, I do think that it's definitely a symbol of chaos that all the ancient religions had. And um, I explained that. Yes, Tiamat, exactly. And um, so, but in fact, Canaan had a Leviathan. Their their word was the same as Leviathan. It's called Lotan in in, um, Canaanite, but uh, it's the same equivalent of Leviathan. And so the idea here is that... um, God actually, through his, his chosen prophets and such, his writers, you know, he repurposes, so to speak, a lot of these these pagan Im- imagination ideas, you know. And, you know, some Christians think, well, no, no, it was it's original with God. And sure, that's all creativity. You can ultimately goes back to God as an origin. But in terms of a strictly um, historical sense, you know, the Jews drew from, they... They were drawing from their Egyptian and Canaanite and uh, Mesopotamian context when they were writing their stories, and they use that that mythological symbol of Leviathan as a notion of chaos that God, the Creator, pushes back in order to establish, <laughs> establish His created order, yeah. and so um, that's the, the God against the gods notion is this idea of how does God, you redeem pagan, what we call pagan imagery. In other words, I, you know, I, I don't believe that, that these, you know, some things might be wrong, like pornography, right? But, but other things like vampires right you know i mean yeah can christians tell vampire stories you know well of course they can because it's a symbol for something else and you can invest that symbol with any meaning and incidentally uh, this is what the world has been doing for millennia uh the world subverts our stories right it takes noah retells noah and invests it with an atheism it takes the the story of the exodus with exodus gods and kings written and directed by atheists and it invests it with a new atheistic interpretation so part of who we are as human beings is we draw from the cultural milieu the the um the images the imagination the symbols that that we are born into and that we swim around in in our culture right we draw from those and we reinvest them with meaning into our stories and that's kind of the that's kind of the big picture of the the uh sort of the some of the ideas that I've communicated in those books.
0: Well, I, I love hearing you talk about all this. I, I studied um, film in college before I just ended up with a biblical studies degree uh, because that's where my story my storied mind went to is I I just want to learn more about the Bible. I want to learn more about Jesus. I want to learn more about these things. And ancient cosmology has been one of the most fascinating points of study for me over the last year or two. I love hearing about this stuff. And it's like you mentioned, you know, the Bible subverts these ideas. And I had a conversation with someone not that long ago who was like, I – I don't care if you're a young Earth creationist or a de- you're into theistic evolution or whatever. I don't care. I don't think that's the point of Genesis. Genesis is Genesis is a a polemic in a sense. It's a setting of the record straight. It's a it's a taking the mythology, which goes far beyond the Semitic regions. Like I, I saw that you were doing some <laughs> books on the Egyptian mythology, and I'm like, I want to see you you hit the uh the Norse gods at some point because that's so fast that's <laughs> so, so fast because you said loten and my brain went to the jotun which are these chaotic uh frost giants and so it's like there's the there are all of these connections within these pantheons and within these myths that you can tell they're all coming from the same place. Yeah. The same liars are telling the same types of stories throughout history and throughout cultures. And it's, oh, I just love, I love hearing you talk about that.
2: Yeah. You know, when I was more of a hyper-literalist Christian, you know, where I thought that the Bible, whatever the Bible was literally saying, that's, that's what it means, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, though you would, when you would discover these mythological origins or, Concepts that predated the Bible, like Leviathan, predates the Bible by you know hundreds, thousands of years. I mean, um, and and uh, you know that would be troublesome, you know, and there, you'd yeah. always try to find some way to sort of explain it away, you know, and and um, and there are some good answers in terms of, um, for example, you know, the flood stories that are were around before the Bible. Well, it's true that if there was a true flood event, then uh, it doesn't matter when you wrote about it. <laughs> Um, the point is, is that you would expect there to be multiple versions of the story based on people's cultures, you know, and that used to be a difficulty. It's not so much anymore, but that's one example of, of how it works. And, um, and, and that, that was a, that was a transforming moment for me because that allowed me to be able to, uh, read and appreciate these other pagan cultures, but in context with the Bible. And oh, and the other element was, um, and it would make sense that that if angels really did come down from heaven in time and space, um, it would make sense that we we would see examples of the gods mating with women, right? In in many right. mythological stories, and so that no Zeus longer Zeus, yeah, was exactly, all over the place. All of, all of we it, we
1: it. certainly do. We definitely yeah. do.
2: So, uh, and and the point is, is that the question is not. And of course, then the atheist or the secular um, mind would then say, "Ah, yes. Yeah, see, this proves um, evolution. We show, we show that the, it evolves from older cultures, and then they pick it up and they adapt it to their own culture. And then other, and then finally, the Jews picked it up and they adapted it, right? And of course, there there is some of that." Th- there is some of that borrowing that is real and you can't deny. Um, The Jews uh, were, even though they were invested with God's Holy Spirit, the writers, they were still people of their time just like we are and they were drawing in their human side from the concepts that they were familiar with. And so when you understand that picture in that way then the whole mythology thing is no longer um, a scary enemy; it's actually a friend, <laughs> and you ju- you know you just have to under- you know seek to understand. Okay, how does this make sense within the context of the biblical view, which is that they distorted it because of their sin, and 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 you could and, but then interestingly sometimes these pagan ideas, uh, at least their version of it, can help illuminate some things we don't know in the scriptures, you know, at yeah. least in terms of how they understood it in that day, you know, so you, you read, you know, you read about things like, um, well, you know, I, I know, there's a lot of examples of it, Leviathan is one, but also uh, some of these problems that people have with the Bible where, um, you know, hyperbole or uh, descriptions of of uh, destructions of cities, and it's described as stars falling from the sky, and the sky rolling up like a scroll, and all this stuff. And yet, it's 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 describing a historical event back in the Old Testament. And you find the same language in other ancient mythologies. And the point of it is, is that they all use the cosmos, the the what we would call the um, not the cosmos, what we would call you know the stars and the sun, and the moon. They the what we call the cosmos, they they used as their understanding of the spiritual realm. It was intersecting with the spiritual realm. And so for them, when they described a city being destroyed, it was like, yeah, it was like the stars are falling because the gods are also falling with the city because they saw a connection between the earthly realm of kings and men and the heavenly realm of of the gods or angels or what have you, right? And so these are things that are common And that's, that's one of the reasons why I think Heiser's work has been so influential, bringing this back to the divine council. You know, I, the divine council is in scripture, very, in many, many places, you know, Psalm 82, um, Psalm 89, uh, lots of them. And, uh, and, and I think Christians can misinterpret the Bible when they seek to understand it only within its own context and not within the context in which the ancient world in which it came came out of because you can miss what it means and you can end up importing your own cultural understanding like for instance you know he stands around the council of the gods etc in in psalm 82 and it's like you know oh well maybe this is um these are symbolic of the earthly rulers being called gods because they represent God. You know, this, this is way. This is a way that that they seek to make sense of it only within the biblical context, without understanding it has a broader context. And when you see, oh, other other nations, of course, had a divine council motif in in other language, then you have to be a little bit more humble and say. Well, maybe, you know, I, I get it. I'm sola scriptura in terms of um, the Bible is the final authority. Um, however, people don't even realize that there are many, many biblical words. They, some of them they call hapax legomena. I think, it, I can't, I, I don't know. I can't remember the exact term, hapax legomena, but they're unique le- words that only appear once in the Bible. And, and there are many
0: or words that- a coitoi. Yeah. Paul's word. That's yeah,
1: that's yeah, a port yeah. That's a portmanteau, yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and there are <clears> many <throat> Hebrew words that they literally don't know, but they make guesses. But when we read the English Bible, we think this is what it is. Yeah. And it's not until you look in and you realize, oh my gosh, they're not even sure what a lot of these words are. You know, like in various passages like um, you know, like like uh uh isaiah's passage talking about the 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 basically the the satyrs in the desert and and the owls and the and and all these it's describing these so-called animals of the desert but they're really not if if you look back into it they're more demonic images right and so um in fact they've even changed the satyrs which are you know pan like like creatures right they've english translations have changed that to be like uh Goats or something like that, you know. Yeah. Saying, what? No, and and so, yeah. So so my point is is that those who say, oh, only the Bible. And if you draw from other pagan sources, then that's not, uh, you know, that's not honoring to Scripture. You know, what I'm saying. Well, they don't realize that the Bible they're reading is actually influenced by other pagan cultures because they 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 decided on some of the decisions of these difficult words based on going into Aramaic or into the Canaanite language, which is a, a pagan culture. And and it has, the language is rooted in, in paganism, right? And so even the translations you're reading of the Bible are rooted in dr- understanding the text in its broader ancient context. So, and I bring that up because that's becoming, you know, Heiser's, begot, Heiser's view has be, become quite popular and a lot of, Orthodox Christians are seeking to, you know, try to, you know, answer it or discredit it or whatever. And um, so I do think it's important to to address that, you know. They
1: are taking modern Christians, especially in the West, they're taking this rational worldview and trying to cram it into this supernatural book. They are trying to. That's that's what I see, and I am sure Cam sees it. And I am, you know, uh, yeah. it's neat to meet somebody who's had been so influenced by Heiser so early. Yeah.
3: Well, and not just the translators; like the characters in the Bible are influenced as well, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is something you brought yeah. up earlier. Like Abraham, God says to him, "I want you to sacrifice your son." And Abraham does it. Go are you a Are you a freak? What's wrong with you? What kind of <laughs> What kind of horrific freak would tell me to murder my own child? It's like, oh, you want me to sacrifice my child? Yes. Okay. You know, and he heads All up right. the mountain because that's we look at. We look at that. And we see God is this barbaric freak, but you look at it in the context of the world he was living in. He goes, "Oh, well, that's that's what you do." God eventually asks for that which you most value. God's asking for my child, but then he goes to the mountain, and God provides, and he goes, "Wow, you're the God who provides." He just learned a a, tr- a truth, something new about God. God just revealed something new about him. So in the context of of the world they lived in that's a huge message that's amazing god's contrasting himself with those ancient cultures but you have to think in terms of the world he was living in in order to actually catch that well, and like, what's the
0: well, point i was gonna say not even to mention he then gave his own son in place of i mean like it, it all ties together it's it's yeah. it's yeah. it's such He's a beautifully written provides <laughs> it's such a beautifully written book over thousands of years like how how does that happen how does it have that (laughs) that level of of beauty and cohesiveness over that long period of time it's wild um but i do think that usually you know if jessica were here right now she'd be like what's genesis 6 what's deuteronomy 32 what's psalm 82 so i just wanted to kind of throw this out there for those who are like (laughs) nephilim um I'm just going to read that. We've never used the word
2: Nephilim yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nephilim. Um, So let me just read the bit of Genesis six. And then I'd love to talk about the book and some of the things that I, I read in it that just like, I was like, dude, you are, I think you're speaking my language in such a crazy way because the first, so like I said, I studied screenwriting. I've written a few scripts, but then I did biblical studies and I haven't, straight up preached that hasn't been something that I've done but I remember sitting down and trying to decide the what I wanted to preach the first time I did it and it was um, taking the Bible and it was going to be a series of course because you know I can't just I can't be short about things I have to be long-winded but it was going to be breaking down the Bible into the three act structure. And into to these different little bits and pieces of story, because story is what communicates to people. Yeah. And so, like when you're talking, and I'm just like, we, our brains are very similar, and I'm thrilled to hear that someone else is thinking this way. Um, but let me read. Let me read that. So um, Genesis six one. Um, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. Married's not the right word. VT yeah. dubs. Good um. example. Another <laughs> example of that. Yeah. Uh, then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. So this, you know, Genesis 6, 4, to anyone reading that doesn't know, is just like, what is this? And so I remember hearing, (laughs) you know, three or four different explanations when I was a kid that, oh, no, well, you know, this is about the sons of Seth that's the yeah. sons of God. It's 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 Adam's lineage through Seth. That's what this is because we it's don't want to really deal pathetic though.
3: <laughs> right. It's, we don't want to deal with this such a sad like really guys.
1: <laughs> that's that's the Kool-Aid answer. That's shut up and drink the Kool-Aid. This is yeah. the answer.
0: Yeah. Right. Um but you know th- there's there's you, so I read your book uh and I'm I'm in the, I just started Enoch. I was kind of I'm not gonna lie, a little disappointed that I didn't get to keep going in the story to the next person. So I'm I'm, I'm glad to go to Enoch, though. But yeah. I was just like, Oh, man, I just Oh, I want I want to go past, you know? Yeah,
2: some people have said that they've read Enoch first, and it's great that way. Um, it just wasn't the way I wrote it. So I, yeah. I when I wrote Enoch, it had to be a prequel, in a sense, you know?
0: Yeah, well, Gilgamesh uh, but, is after that. And I'm just like, how, yeah. how's he gonna do this? I'm 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 Fascinated to figure out how you tie in Gilgamesh. <laughs> well, if
2: I, I, I actually my goal was to to be as close to the to Gilgamesh as possible. And so uh, if you've read the, I recommend reading Gilgamesh because it reads like a modern day hero story. It's just amazing, you know. but yeah,' I'm, pr- <laughs> I'm very proud of one, I'm one of the things I'm most proud of is Gilgamesh in the sense that I thought that I actually did retell the story in a very faithful way but yet integrated into my storyline in a way that's powerful. And, you know, the problem is, is a lot of people may have heard of the name Gilgamesh, but like, what, that's not in the Bible? What do you, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yes, he Um, is.
2: Hey, yeah, just to just to give some
3: added clarification. um, You wrote this whole series, you know, this fiction series about uh, with the Bible, you know, uh, Noah primeval and all these, okay. But then you turned around and you wrote the actual book about the biblical stuff surrounding all this. Uh, yes. When the Watchers Were Upon the Earth. I have that one. I've not read the whole thing yet, but I've read part of it. Uh, oh, the, of well, the ago. first
2: the first one's When Giants Were or Upon the Earth. When them. Giants, that's what it is, When Giants yeah, Were yeah. Upon the Earth. So yeah. what So what and, happened was when I first started, so yeah, we're for everybody else, we're talking about the series Chronicles of the Nephilim, right. available exclusively on Amazon in paperback, <laughs> Kindle, and audiobook.
0: And it's uh, free to great, read. by the way. It's free to read on Kindle Unlimited right now. And I have all of oh. the links down in the, oh, in the right, description. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: my books. book is first. Speaking yes. of which. Technically, one, flipped it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> um uh so the first novel though was Noah Primeval and then Enoch Primordial, but the series became Chronicles of the Nephilim. And when I was writing it. Again, this is over 10 years ago. So I I didn't, you know, this was still new. um, And so a lot of people, I I thought a lot of Christians would have problems with it. You know what I mean? So I thought, you know what? One of the things I loved about Michael Crichton, um, he would write his novels. And then at the back, he would put a a little appendix about explaining the real science behind his novels, you know? And I thought, well, I'm going to do the same thing, but with my biblical and historical research. And it was, it's the kind of thing that I thought I would, I might appreciate that. So maybe other people would. And so, at the end of each of the novels in Chronicles of the Nephilim, I do have the appendix explaining some of the some of the research behind it, and a lot of Christians have, have told me that, that they've enjoyed that as much as the novels, and yes. um, and and it's because they you know uh, some of the stuff is so wild that you've got to be thinking where did, did he make this up you know right and so it's helpful in that way but it, it became so um, so uh, popular that I took all the appendixes from the novels of the series, Chronicles of the Nephilim, and I put them into one book as just a Bible research book called When Giants Were Upon the Earth. That book is my, my best-selling book right now of all my <laughs> books. And I think it's because Christians are just hungry for Bible study material on that. Although it's interesting because in some ways I feel like my storytelling is, is um, to me, it's more important than, the, than just the research. But... Nevertheless, I, I understand and I appreciate why why a lot of Christians like that. So in later novels that I've written more recently, I decided to put more of my research because it was I was enjoying it as well. And uh so or in my set possible? Yes. <laughs>
3: I've never seen a novel with the amount of footnotes you have in yours. <laughs> it's yeah, amazing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so uh so in my new series, Chronicles of the Watchers, which is basically they're, they're standalone novels, so to speak, but they kind of fill in the gaps of Chronicles of the Nephilim. It's sort of like going back. I wrote, I wrote eight novels, Chronicles of the Nephilim, and now I've realized, you know, there are some other stories I need to get done. Like Moses. I didn't do Moses. Right. You get in my face with that. I'll beat your goddamn ass. Okay. Uh, That's Alex.
0: Sorry. Um, my cat (laughs) stepped on,
2: what the heck?
0: Sorry, my, my, my cat stepped on my soundboard, and it is on Alex Jones mode. I apologize. That's
2: hilarious. <laughs> well, that reveals quite a bit to me. That is the first interview good. you've been in
3: with for Alex Jones' played in the middle. Yes.
2: yes. This, show,
1: this show is, at the end of the day, called The Mad Ones.
2: Yes, that's true. Good point.
0: you. get, you, you get a little bit of the madness. Uh...
2: So in Chronicles of the Watchers, I ended up having a book... For each novel, an additional book of the research. It's a shorter book, really? but it's it's more than just 50 pages. You know, it's like 150 pages or so. And um I've been enjoying writing those as much as the novels myself. And people have been loving them. Sometimes people like to read the research first <clears throat> because then they can they can appreciate and see what I'm doing with the novels because they are wild, right? That's some why people I like it
3: up. Yeah. So some people like <laughs> to read the novel. Here, yeah.
2: Yeah. And then go, well, where did he get that from? Oh, that's where he got it from. So, you know, whatever, however, however you want to read it is fine. But yeah, that, that was sort of the origin of that. And, um, and I did it cause I'm like that too. You know, if I would see something bizarre or wild, I'd be going, well, where'd you get that from? So, you know, not everybody cares, but I do.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's helpful because I mean, like there are certain things that come up that I'm just like, I can't, I know, I know that he's drawing from history, but Holy crap crap yeah um one of the things that i wanted to bring up is i really and you may have to say the names because i'm i'm terrible at this but one of the one of the small little pieces that i loved was your naming in noah uh primeval these characters that were tied to the gods because you know if you look at in the bible the naming of angels and and uh you know different people you've got ezekiel you've got israel you've got raphael all of them ending in l and why is that and also look at elijah which is elihu elihu which is taking on the name yahweh after a certain point and yep. so all of these names that you see in the bible that end in l are directly tied to god and who he is and you're named with that i forget the word for it but they're named with that connection to God, the God of the Bible, yes. the actual real God. Um but then you have like uh log uh, I can't say the name. The the priest king uh of Lugalinu, Lugalanu, who is a who's connected to the god Anu. Yes. And I loved mm. that in that his in his name was that same uh use of naming which they did in Babylon Babylon as well yes. and the other one that really stuck out to me was ham who I think you said it I think it was Kananu which yeah. is a mixture of both the name Canaan which is his son which is where all the the you know all the bad stuff goes in the future um and it also nods to Anu this other god and I was just like dude I love what you're doing I love what you have done this is brilliant and I just want to gush on that for a second.
2: Well, that, let let me explain it too for your for your readers. I'm trying to actually find in my in some of the books, some of the novels, I end up giving little charts because I'm doing something very specific. And why can't I find the charts? They should be there. Hmm. If it's any strange. consolation,
0: I just I didn't read the charts. So if I picked up anything cool, it was just because I'm I'm feeling you, brother. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. No, it's really interesting. Why don't I have? Um, hold on. Maybe it's an Abraham. So one of the things that I did was, um, so I, I knew that I was gonna. I knew that the Bible. I'm gonna tell these stories going all the way through the Bible up to the time of Jesus, and I know that you know they they have interacted with, uh, you know, the Jews were were um, interacting with these various time periods and cultures. Mesopotamia, which is Babylon, and um, early Babylon, and later Babylon as well, and then Canaan, which would be the Canaanites and Ugarit and their their cultures, and also, of course, Egypt as well. But because I knew that I was going to to do that, my concept was this. I thought, so first of all, g- g- taking a step back, we've okay. mentioned this already, this notion of the divine counsel, what is this? And this idea that there are there are what the Bible calls gods that are around, that God gets counseling from, and they are his sons of God. I finally found the, the first, um, first chart. I thought I had that chart earlier, but anyway. So, um, and this idea is that when the Bible, when the Bible uses the word God, Elohim, it doesn't mean just the bring that we know God. It's really yeah, more of a, it's a title. It's a title or a description of a realm of existence, um, you know uh, a tier of existence. And so sometimes dead uh, dead people are called Elohim, uh, gods are called, you know pagan gods are called Elohim, angels are called Elohim. So what does that mean? So the idea that Heiser explains is that Elohim, like Yahweh is the Elohim of Elohim's, which means, all these beings exist in this spiritual realm, this supernatural realm, whatever, to a degree, um, and God is in that realm as well, and he's the Elohim of Elohim. But that, but that means there are other beings that are in that realm, and they're called Elohim in Hebrew, which means gods in English, right? So our normal, it's our normal English, the way we've been raised to understand monotheism is that, no, there could only be one God, and all the other pagans are just false ones or whatever. But that's not the way that they spoke back then in the ancient world. And so we have to divest ourselves of our bias of this word God as only yeah. can be applied to the creator God, Yahweh, right? It it's it, it can be applied to other beings is the point. And so um, when I first began this series and, and was studying, and, and Heiser brings out also, and then my further study was this notion of the watchers. And these watchers, which are in Daniel, you can read Daniel 4 and and the Prince of Persia Daniel 7, I think it is.
0: Prince of Greece.
2: Prince of Greece, etc. cetera. Um, so there are the this notion in the Bible that there are um, over um, earthly entities and rulers, usually more like kings and cities or nations, there are spiritual entities that are linked to those earthly rulers, right? So that when there was a... So their belief was was that, you know, when the the earthly ruler had a war, there was a war in heaven. And when the earthly ruler like when Babylon fell, then that's why they said the stars fall from the sky because they also believed that its spiritual entity that was over Babylon also fell to the other deities of the gods or the of the land that were fighting them right so this is a notion that was very much in the bible and 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 rooted in there so you know whereas we might call them more angels maybe or something like that um but the bible calls them gods and and actually angels are different from uh spirits angels are actually they are spirits but they have a heavenly flesh right they can eat food they can have sex with humans Um, and so they, but they're not human. And so they have a by, uh, they, they can exist in two different realms. Whereas we can only exist in this one realm, or we can only, you know, we can only sort of interact in this one realm. And so, but spirits or evil spirits or demons, not the same thing. They're not fallen angels. So learning these concepts, right. And, and then this notion of, well, if, if there are ancient rulers, if the rulers of ancient earth had spiritual entities over them. What what is the point, right? And I mean, does that make any theological sense? And the key to it, of course, comes in Deuteronomy 32. And 32.8, where it says, when the Most High God gave to the nations their inheritance, and by the way, that word inheritance is rooted in a concept of land and, and power and such, when he divided mankind, All scholars will tell you this is a reference to Babel, right? When he divided mankind at Babel, he fixed the borders of the peoples. In other words, the nations that we read about in Genesis 10. According, the nations are, the borders are fixed according to what? The number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his lot of heritage. What does that mean? And, you know, Heiser explains this, and I also go through an explanation of this as well. But the basic idea here is that is is that the the according to the bible the, there there was israel god's people and then the gentile nations everybody else and they conceived of there being 72 or 70 na- gentile nations according to genesis 10 right and so they always saw the gentiles were everyone else going to hell basically and jews or the israelites would be god's people and so this concept is is that those those pagan nations then because they rejected God at the Tower of Babel, right, they kept falling away, and God finally said, okay, look, I'm going to separate you, and I'm going to place you under the authority of these these sons of God that you're worshiping to some degree. And the sons of God are these spiritual beings from Genesis 6 that you read that came down from heaven and had sex with women, and, and, and they bore them the Nephilim, right? So it's tied in with all that, but the idea here is that there are these spiritual entities that the Bible itself says are over each of the Gentile nations or maybe their ruling authorities. And so my premise of Chronicles of the Nephilim was, well, the, the connection that I bring to the mix, the, the sort of like the unique original thing that I brought into this whole realm was, I thought, well, what if the gods, the ancient pagan gods that people worshipped, those gods of the nations, what if they were these sons of God that were over them, that God placed over them. And how would that, how would that operate? Well, it would make sense to me that if they're worshipping these false gods, um, that these beings would take on these identities for the sake of drawing worship away from Yahweh unto themselves. So you've got the Greeks worshipping Zeus, right? You've got Canaan worshipping Baal, um, uh, Egypt, you know, worshipping Ra and Horus and all this. And so these were the premise was what if these entities were rooted in some demonic reality yeah and that's not entirely made up i actually also drew that from the bible now i'm not saying my my notion and how i play it out in my novels is the way it really was because i just don't know and i had to speculate and i'm writing fiction so the point is my novels are not historical fiction. They're theological fiction. I'm trying to tell history, but through a theological lens like the Bible does. So in Deuteronomy 32, 17, he's talking about the um, Jews, the Israelites coming into Canaan and falling away from him, Yahweh, and worshiping these other gods. And he says, they, the Israelites, sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently whom your fathers had never dreaded." So what he's saying here is like, they, they went into this new land of Canaan, and they fell away from me, and they, and they were sacrificing to these other gods, but those gods were demons. Now, yeah. I don't, I, the word demon shedu in Hebrew is not the same as what we think of demons now. It's more, I would say, be more accurate to say they were demonic, meaning yeah. they were evil and such, because they're very different. The sons of God are different from demons and spirits and stuff like that. but. The point there is is still the, the case, and so that was the premise of the whole series. So, so I said, well, if I'm going to be going into all these different cultures, I'm going to have to learn all their gods and all their and and you know and and their mythologies to, to see how, how can I integrate that into my story in a way that explains it within uh, within the submission to Aslan. You know what I mean? Right. In other words, Aslan is the god over is the the god over all those mythological types, and so. Um, so the first, you know, series Enoch and Noah, it's the most ancient so it takes place, you know, I, I have it roughly around the time of ancient Sumer. So I had to find those deities of ancient Sumer like Anu, er, uh the city of Eridu, um, Inanna. I- Inanna, right, exactly. And then later on in other stories when they get into Can- Canaan, the the chief gods are different. They're Baal, Ashtart, right? But the point is, is a lot of these gods have a lot of cross pollination and sim- similarities. Some yeah. of them are actually uh, taken from one country, brought into another. They mix and match them. And, you know, a lot of it's made up stuff, obviously. But but um, if there's some demonic reality to it, then I thought it would make sense if if these spiritual beings, you know, masqueraded as these these ancient gods that they worshipped. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of the premise of my story. That. These ancient gods have a, a, real, a reality to them, but it's a spiritual deception. And they're actually these fallen sons of God that are trying to draw worship away from Yahweh. And why? What's the purpose? What's the goal? Ultimately, it's to what I call the war of the seed. They're, they know about the coming, um, uh, the coming Messiah, <laughs> the one who would um, uh, defeat the, the serpent, right? Crush the head of the serpent. And they had a sense of that. And so they were tr- trying to stop the bloodline, basically. And that's the premise of my of my whole series. And that's the, the spiritual. They don't know all the facts that about what God's doing, but they know enough to try to stop it and, and fight him and stop Messiah from being born. Yeah. And so that's that's the big story principle. But that all ties into what we originally started about with the watchers and such. <laughs> and it's not just this like, oh, watchers, giants, like strange anomalies. No, it's all tied into the theology of the scriptures, which yeah. is the thing that is so fascinating to me.
0: Oh, me too. I, I remember um, before I read your book, that was kind of one of the things that I'm sure Ryan can tell you I, he's heard me say Uh, in the past is what horrible gods are over america with you know (laughs) like uh, different things like because you know you see i i saw the prince of persia i saw the prince of greece i saw these different concepts and i was like there's clearly a you know paul talks about um our our enemies are not flesh and blood but principalities and powers rulers in the dark places and it it's like th- there is clearly this demonic activity going on over these nations, and so, like, when I am reading what you've written, when I am hearing what you are talking about right now, I am like, this makes so much sense to me. And have you ever? And this is kind of tangential. I don't know if you'll appreciate this question or not. Have you read American Gods by Neil Gaiman?
2: I've not read it, but I've seen the first two seasons of the of the series.
0: Okay. i didn't i i read most of the book but i didn't watch all of the series but the concept of that is that when people moved to america from different regions they brought their gods with them and so you know now of course uh, he's
2: gaiman is a, a, most likely an atheist right so he's right. he's operating at these are metaphors right? right these are metaphors for the cultural values uh, and 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 that's fine i mean i get that too right So, so, but that's what I, what I appreciate about that, that story is you're right. He's using our concept, but he's using it as a metaphor, but it does capture a a lot of what we're saying. What I
1: find fascinating is even though he was, is probably, you're probably right. He probably, I think he is a professed atheist, but isn't it fascinating that he's still yoking onto, you know, Christian religious concepts and he's creating his own little religion fantasy world. Yeah, no, I think fascinating? he's
0: fascinating. Even you, so, I think he's right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I well, think I, the Freemasons, the Freemasons put Astra in our in New York Harbor. I mean, I hate to say it, and we, you know, conspiracy theorists talk about it all the time. But there you go. Yeah,
2: the yeah,
1: uh, yeah. the Lady Libertas is uh, Ashra, and uh, yeah. you know, so the cross pollination is not a, It's very Don't real. Even,
3: yeah. Don't even bring up Washington D.C. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that, is that is literally
0: that is literally a masonic. Uh, yeah,
3: yeah, it's
2: nuts,
0: wild. Uh, yeah, I, I love this conversation. I'm so happy that we're yeah, here yeah. right Which, now. Which
2: incidentally, um, <laughs> we uh, on Derek Gilbert's show, we have um, uh, a group of us that meet once a month online, and he tapes it, and it's iron and myth and and it's these guys are like smarter than me so um i love sitting and talking with them but we we talk about these issues as well and the last one we talked about was this this notion of the the uh the watchers and the territorial authorities in movies and tv you know and we talked a little bit about um american gods and we also talked a lot about marvel you know and and obviously superheroes of course we've all you know I've been saying for, for, you know, decades that, yeah, superheroes are kind of a God substitute, but now I'm convinced that they're, it's not just metaphorical, like, you know, in a secular culture or man's religious impulse, we tend to tell stories that sort of reflect that religious notion of gods and, and men who are greater than us, but but in a God sense, you know. <clears throat> but now I'm, I, I, I feel like it's coming to a very negative culmination um and they're becoming more explicitly religious in marvel right not dude just did you see
0: eternals yes exactly dude, that it's, was it's pretty like much- the anti-you it's exactly. amazing it exactly is the anti-you that and blew shocking. my mind hearing the name well slightly different but tiamat
2: yeah and gilgamesh and all that yeah yeah so so my point is is they're becoming more explicit about it but and again it's not so much that um it's not it's not i uh, how can i say it? um like I don't, I don't think that they're deliberately, you know, I, I think they're just driven by this sort of, this this <laughs> this Hegelian historical move, and it's just like yeah, we will become more we use more religious themes. It's not real to them, but what I'm saying is, it's not that they're trying to get us back to some other religions or something like that. It's just that man is a religious creature, and without religion, you ultimately have to create more religions, and they to substitute in your need for God. And that's what Marvel has become for our secular culture. And I don't think it's, I think it's becoming really bad. I don't think it's a good thing. I used to, you know, I mean, I say, it's not like sinful to watch a, a superhero movie, but my point is is that it's becoming the religion. It's becoming the carrier of the cultural values and, um, aspirational beliefs of, of, of our culture that that these these godlike beings uh, are the scientific replacement for god so to speak right and so of course they're not all scientific but you know what i mean um it's the modern secular version of it you know and to them it's like oh it's not religion but it really is that's the thing they're not they it's a religion superheroes are it's, a religion
0: it's like um no, you don't have to be committed so it's non-committal yeah mythology yeah. is what it is <laughs> yeah you, and one you, thing you,
1: Go I'll, ahead. I'll point out, I'll point out based on what you said before, you can kind of see the Christianity through these, these uh, themes of redemption and of growth. But what do we see in movies like Frozen? We see anti-redemption. We see yeah. they have identified those Christian themes and they are viciously it's attacking them up. all right now, aren't they? And I'm sure you who have a background in screenwriting have, have seen that they are now trying to oh no every you are just fine the way you are yeah you were already equipped ray ray of star wars yeah she was fully equipped from the moment that she she has no character arc she has no redemption she's it is just she's awesome she's yeah. woke and she's great and that's and that's well it's like it that, right there. but
2: there's a big problem she's white so i'm <laughs> sorry true. you guys but uh, that makes Star Wars a racist, patri- racist part of the racist patriarchy that that um, uh, internalizes the the oppression and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: man yeah. Well, it's like that new that new Thor movie. I yeah. watched it and I was so frustrated because it's like yeah. you know they've they've taken because I do think that you're right. At some point, it was just kind of fun mythology yeah. kind of thing but yeah. now it's like they have to make their stupid freaking points all the time stop making the I'm frustrated yeah. <laughs> because like I have a little Mjolnir here on my arm and it has oh. nothing to do with the Thor the god it's just like it looks cool I like it yeah. you know I like hammers whatever I get it um but you have one
3: hanging on the wall behind you
0: <laughs> I do um but no it's 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 like I watched that freaking movie and I was just like you know, it wasn't even the most preachy of them. But yeah. at the same at the same time, they they put enough preaching in there for me to be like you yes. you've messed up this movie. It's no yeah. longer what I came for.
2: Yeah, I I I'm just not interested in Marvel anymore. And and you know, they're building the, you know, it's all about the Marvel universe. See, that's the mythology. They're building a complete narrative that is a meta narrative to explain the world. And this is where mm-hmm. they they want to get there. They want to get their spiritual Hunger satisfied from the imagination because that's all they have that's all they believe in right there's nothing there's nothing transcendent. so this th- this is becoming this the God substitute that is not it's not a yeah it's not a good thing yeah, they make- so
0: gay <laughs> <laughs>
1: If you're if you're a big fan, if you're a big fan of Thor Ragnarok, like I was, because I thought Dude. Thor Ragnarok was just fabulous. that was a fantastic movie. Did yeah. you catch the retcon? Uh spoiler alert, don't care. If you didn't see either one, uh eh, sorry. But did you see that in Thor Ragnarok, the, the rock guy, I'm sorry, I forget his name right Korg. now. He's Korg. Korg said, I had a mother, but then in the new movie, there's a whole different narrative for how their yeah. their people reproduce. Okay, so I'm just Jay. gonna leave it at that. <laughs> <Just> gonna... <laughs> but once
3: yeah, again, the biggest the they're sacri- I mean they're putting all this other stuff in, like you said, it's their with their worldview becoming flesh. But um yeah, it's just bad stories though. They don't even yeah, that's the thing. try and tell good stories. There's no no yeah, well, real arc to it. There's no real hero. There's no lesson learned that makes them reach the conclusion or, and find redemption. Or it's, it's woke.
2: The- it's all about yeah. the wokeness. And yeah, I, I couldn't make past like 15 minutes of Thor, it was the new Thor. It was just so
0: ridiculous the, to me. They're, the they're all just part, ridiculous. The best part of that dadgum new movie was the last five minutes. Oh, really? The last five minutes, I would have watched an entire movie of yeah. that crap. But the rest of it, I, I didn't care about it I agree, whatsoever. Yeah. I thought uh, but,
1: Christian Bale's character I, was great.
0: Um I was gonna the, say uh, oh, did you watch sorry, it? Cam. Don't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. You're good. <laughs> Go for it.
3: I was moving on past Thor. Oh, no, yeah, I was gonna I, say I, I was just
0: I was just gonna say uh before we move on past back Thor to and the Marvel, Marvel. Um I'm I was just gonna say for me, the frustrating thing with Marvel is like there's some good movies interspersed within these kind of yes half excuse me half-ass movies yeah. um but the one that really stuck me is like okay so it's over wasn't end game it wasn't infinity war it was freaking um guardians of the galaxy 2 where mm-hmm. i was like sitting there the whole time and i'm sure you understand this brian where's the primary external goal what is the goal yeah. of this movie like yeah. when i'm sitting there looking at my watch going okay what, are, what are we doing here <laughs> yeah. i'm like okay so we're done marvel's done and that's where I am. So go ahead, John, yeah. uh, not Josh. <laughs> Why did I call you Josh? Brian?
3: <laughs> well, I was going to say you've been consistent, Brian, for, you know, at least 20 years on this, the whole concept of, you know, stories are what's inside coming out, you know? So you were in here, you're putting it to movies. You were saying, Hey, yeah. here, movies, what story, what, what is coming out? What is being communicated here through this, through this story? Yeah. But you're, like you were saying what inspired you kind of your, your hook with noah primeval and the chronicles of the nephilim you know it's still the same thing you did what so many people especially christians that we don't do i mean mythology is it's uh you know the definitions it's people how people explain things they they can't understand how yes. they put into words what can't be what they don't really get okay right. but th- they come from something you know, you—if that's the definition—that means there's something behind it. So, what's behind it? And there's way more non-Christians who ask that question than Christians. And coming at it from a biblical worldview and asking those questions—that is so unique, and that is yeah. so cool. Yeah. And so, I,
2: so when when you <laughs> just—I love that. Each novel you read, um, when you, um, how can I put it? Like, so, so for instance, you know, the story of Abraham, right? So he takes place around Babylon. And I I link him into the time period where Nimrod's still around. There's scholarly speculation about that. Who knows? But yeah. but I have him in the time of Nimrod, because there are some ancient Jewish, you know, tales that have him in the time of Nimrod, right? So mm-hmm. so I I do that. Um, but the things that occur with the gods in my stories, in each of the novels, I try to make them based on the what's happening in the spiritual realm. I base it on what's as much as possible on the mythologies of that world. So for instance, um, in my Moses, my latest novel is Moses against the gods of Egypt. And so you've got these gods of Egypt and I have them follow the, um, uh, you know, the, the book of the dead, Egyptian book of the dead. Now that's, the book of the dead is actually, about your journey into the afterlife and such. And I have that journey in the story based on the Book of the Dead. It's not real. It's, let me just put it this way. It, it's a spiritual reality. It's really cool the way I, I, I dealt with it. But, and all the gods that are in there, they're not just doing things. I'm like when Horus, what Horace is trying to do and what Set is trying to do is based on ancient egyptian stories and mythology as much as possible. So when you're watching my books and particularly all the ones that happen in Canaan, right? Uh, which will be Joshua, um, Valiant, Caleb Vigilant, these are the the conquering of the 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 um, you know the Canaanite tribes. It's it, 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 yeah, the conquering. And I have I draw from the mythology of ancient Baal, the Baal story, the Baal epic. There's a whole um, you know, huge book as big as the, as the Bible about Baal, right? And so I draw from his stories and have him doing those things in, in this story. And so you're really going to, you are going to learn a little bit about the, the kind of mythology that it is. But yeah, like you said, it's ultimately, though, at the service of the scriptural worldview. So,
3: well, it comes from something you're asking, where did yeah. these, co- you know, what, what's being communicated I'm, here? Because, I'm not that original. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well if that's if you're going to go by that then the bible's not that original either but yeah. it's it, like, yeah it's everything fits together it's nifty but yeah <laughs> it's fun we
1: we have to oh I'm go sorry no, go we ahead. have to we have to touch on your background I'm a writer Cam is a writer you're a writer I don't know Brian are you a writer yourself I don't know but I, <laughs> I wanted to talk I had to ask uh, at least a question about like your background as a writer which came first, the chicken or the egg Were you did, was it screenwriting first, you know, kind of like your journey as a writer, uh, you know, like getting published, uh, you know, that's that's awesome stuff. And that's something I think, you know, as a fantasy writer guy myself, I'd love to hear about.
2: So I started out as a visual artist and um, but interestingly in college, uh, as a Christian, I want I have I've always had a passion to bring the gospel to the lost and in college, um, I was so desperate to um, share the gospel that we—I wanted to do it creatively because I love—I love, I love creativity—and so we we had a skit, a drama team that we went out on the free speech area and we would just do skits and you know we base them on Monty Python stuff and make up our own, but a right. lot of it was all—it was all spiritual skits and stuff, getting to intended to get conversation going, so. And, and I realized that I had to write them and act in them. And um, I really enjoyed that, right. Um, so I got my degree in, in, in illustration graphic design, ultimately is what I went into. Um, but I in when when I was in college, I actually studied Francis Schaefer. he's an old evangelical theologian, he's he's deceased, but his his work changed my life in terms of understanding how my art Worked with my worldview and my Christianity and how to integrate them. Because until that time, there were two separate things. I, I didn't know how to put them together. And and I I I was watching movies. and I really loved movies. And I began to see and understand movies from a worldview perspective because of Francis Schaeffer and H. R. Ruchmacher. And um, and I started getting a burden and a desire. Like I want. I, I would sometimes I would start to cry the movie because I would see how powerful. Its secular theme was, and thinking, I want God's theme to be up there on the screen in a powerful mm, way. That's awesome, And that inspired me to to look into um, into into movies. and but the thing was, you know, um I knew a little bit about the artist's life, and I knew that as a graphic designer, I could have a good an, an okay job and and be fine. But a lot of other artistic endeavors are starving artists, right? and and yeah. I knew Hollywood was about that. And as I looked into it, And i realized well you know what i'm going to just do it on the side and i'm going to learn about screenwriting on my own i'm not going to go to college you know spend all this money to whatever waste of money yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and i'd already graduated from college anyway so i had my degree and, and such and i got married and um, so I was doing it on the side, learning screenwriting on the side. I did it for many years. And before I got my first movie made, which was two, wars, 2001.
0: I have so many questions,
2: but in that time period. So <laughs> I was, that's when I was like studying storytelling for Hollywood. And, and then, like I said, then, um, around the end of that was when I got inspired to, well, let me put this down into, into a book. And um that was right around the time that my first movie came out to end all wars. And so interestingly, I was a nobody um until my movie until I got a movie made. Then I'm like I go to University and I'm like, okay, well, oh, you, you wrote a movie in Hollywood that's got made so i pitched them my book and they they took it and so they would have taken they would never i'm I'm the same person i always was but because i got i had accomplishments and that's that's how that
0: works yeah you had jack bauer on your side yeah so so. i yeah i i I, so
2: i had the um um the 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 respect of 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 accomplishment and that's what enabled me to get published and so and then after that time I, i later, I, I had one other book that I published that did not do well at all um, with with um, InterVarsity. but so th- that was that. And then I focused on the screenwriting. And then so I had a day job, but I learned early on from people in the business, you got to get out to LA. That's where the action is. You can't, yeah, there are some rare cases where people sell a screenplay from somewhere else. but you got to be around the action got to be it's it's about meeting people knowing people who you know and stuff it really is legit so we we i got a job out in california my wife and i moved out there and um you know from then it was i was there for 30 years actually so wow so so we got that first movie made and um uh and i was developing my you know my career in that and so what happened was when the movie got made you think oh that's a breakthrough now i'm going to get all these jobs and well it didn't happen the the director did well but nothing (laughs) happened for me and i it was like having to start over at square one i literally had to beat the streets again to get people to read my scripts and yeah there were a few people i was able to contact and they're like oh yeah i I liked your movie and one guy i did get him i got the job for the visitation uh, adapting peretti's novel the visitation I got that because the guy knew, saw *Twin Wars and thought I was a good writer. But other than that, it's like, it's almost like you're starting all over again. It's, it's not, it doesn't just come to you and you're a superstar, you know? And so, um, I know how that goes yeah, that, that, in
0: this, in this venue.
2: Yeah. So for the next 10 years, then I was doing graphic. Um, I quit my day job because I had freelancer, uh, design clients. So I, and I did that so that I could have free time to write when I needed to write for a movie. Right. And so for the next 10 years, I was doing less and less graphic design and I was getting a little bit more and more writing work and that's kind of how it worked. And then, you know, by, by some point, you know, I was only, you know, mostly just, I still do design, like I design my own book covers and stuff, but I don't, I don't do it for pay. And, um, at, at some point then, you know, maybe within those 10 years, I kind of became full-time writing, screenwriting, but um, it was still abysmal for an for in, in income. And then it got so bad a couple of years that right around 2010 where I thought I gotta, it's not working. And so I, I've got I've to expand my horizons. And by the way, this isn't unusual. It happens to a lot of people too. You can be good and still have difficulty. So uh, that was when I decided to start writing novels. Yeah, and and the Noah Primeval was my first novel, and it was that was your first one. Yes,
0: you killed it, bro. Killed and it.
2: and it, you can well, say that again. It's been oh, kind of it's been rewritten several whoa. times. That's the Dude. benefit of self publishing, right? Yeah. So, but anyway, Noah Primeval was on the on the on the on the wave of Kindle when Kindle was first exploding, <clears> and <throat> it did really well, and I made good money. I thought, oh, but but interestingly, before I did that, I self published that. But I, I went around with my Noah novel, tried to get an age, Christian agent, and con- tried to contact, couldn't get one, couldn't get a Christian publisher to, to take it on. They, some of them looked at it, but... It was just too weird for them they you know they yeah. don't understand originality and it's too risky and all that i get it plus they were a little bit more r-rated um when i first came out
0: and oh i want to read those versions I
2: <laughs> no that's just it's you know it, it really was unnecessary some it was it really was it's not a moral issue for me it's more of a creative but but i realized that the christian audience is my main audience and and um you know you can you can you can imp- imply something powerfully, creatively without being explicit. And and I'm I'm actually happy with that, I'm fine. Yeah. However, there is always a little bit of edginess to them. I, I might have a couple of bad words in there <laughs> once in a while, because you have to, to, to show that evil, you know? Right. So anyway, no one would take it, So I, but self-publishing was just growing. And I thought, well, I might as well, I can't do it any, any other way. Well, it pr- proved to be the best thing in my life because I'm making far better income as a self-published author now after 10 years, it, it only took like five years to get up to a really good income. And, um, uh, and, and like, I wouldn't, uh, uh like I, I wouldn't write another book for intervarsity cause I make far more money on my yeah. own than I do with that Hollywood worldviews book, by the way, is still selling really well after 20 years. Uh, and, and the pittance that I get for, uh, royalties, I know they're making a lot of money, right? But now I'm making I'm making all the royalties, and and you know it's it's like fifty to seventy percent royalties at the end of the day, you know um, when you take into account everything it's about fifty to seventy percent depending on the books, um, you know whether it's audiobook or Kindle, blah blah blah, and um, whereas you make like ten percent or less. With yeah. with a traditional publisher, so I would not be able to make a living with a traditional publisher anyway, because I'm not a I'm not a superstar. You know, I don't sell millions, right? So, uh, but there are so many of us like that, and um, I realized I had to if I wrote like one to two books a year, that it it just kept the income steady, and you know, um, some and it's gotten better actually over the years, but slowly. But at least it keeps it steady if you just keep at least one to two books a year, mm-hmm. and so I was doing that cranking them out. In the last couple of years, because I I moved to Texas, big move, big change in life. And I I wrote a couple of movies. I was only getting like one book a year for the last couple of years. And this year I'm only going to have one book done too by the end of the year, but um, because of the movies. But have a movie. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But that's outstanding. I I just want to say like you, you basically answered any question I could have had, uh, you know, (laughs) you, you, the clout from, from having a movie out there helped you get published uh you know the struggling but the consistency the consistency that's so so awesome yeah
2: it really is and if if you're if you are a writer and such don't even bother with traditional publishing they're only interested in i'm serious um they're only interested in celebrities now. And so what that means yeah. is they're like, well, who are you? What have you done that makes you famous? And what's your audience? What's your audience pull and all this? You've got, you end up having to do all the marketing yourself anyway. And yeah. this is yeah. not exaggeration unless you're a celebrity. Now, uh, yes, of course, if you're some, you know, whatever, uh, Christian movie star or something, you know, and you have a book, they're going to put money into advertising it, but not when you're just a good average writer, like doing, and especially not for fiction. Right. So, um, so you have to do all the work for marketing anyway, they're going to rely on you. So it's like, well, why bother with them? And yeah, there might be a little bit more, they might afford you a little bit wider initial exposure, but it um, uh, just to get started, but it drops off so quickly and it's better to build a career slowly and and um because it's the long term that matters if you're going to be a writer and uh it's building writing series and getting known and you have to do a lot of, it's a full-time job um and you got to market got a lot of marketing and spend a lot of money to uh to make money but record your audio books <laughs> yep I, record I mean you do own. the voice of your own audio books right but I, I, I do one, hire what i've listened to I do all of them myself. And it was because like, I I couldn't afford an actor to do it. Right. So I had to do it. Uh, Not everyone has a, an okay voice though. So you just have to be honest, ask or ask some people to be honest and, and, you know, see if you do have the kind of voice that works. I'm a public speaker. So I, I, I'm pretty good at that. But, um, uh, but I do have to hire a studio to to record it, and they do all the mixing and stuff because I, I i don't want to I don't want to learn all that on my own. It's too much work, you know. Yeah.
3: One so benefit I, I, of I... listening. One benefit of listening to you is uh, I started reading Noah Primeval, and then it was great. But I did wonder about a lot of the the pronunciations of the names. When I saw that you read the, uh, audiobook yourself, I was like, I'll write right from his mouth. How <laughs> supposed to be. So I flipped and I started listening to it because I wanted, I don't to know if I'm always right. But I, stuff. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't know if you're I'm the author. Right, but... So it's
0: right. Yeah. yeah I true, will say, true. I will say I remembered one time that you said Gabriel instead of Gabriel. Yeah. And I was like, see, every, everyone, everyone has, their th- well, so it was so funny. I will say, um, it was great to hear my, my wife was like, I like, she, he, she goes, Mikael is fine. She said, Raphael is fine. Uriel is fine. But.
2: Gabriel, I, I, like I a hate girl.
0: Gabriel. I hate Gabriel. And I'm like, no, I get that. Uh, but well, I will you know, say the most powerful moment for me, which spoiler alert, read it anyway. Um, in Noah. Noah yeah. yeah. In Noah was when uh, right before, um, Methuselah passed, and he he revealed he knew the name of God because my my um my wife was like why are they calling him Elohim why are they I was like because they haven't been given his name yet we haven't hit Moses yet we don't have that well not even his name the way we tell people who he is we don't even have that yet so that that moment when he said you know my dad told me his name and he used it oh God like chills dude (laughs) oh that's cool. Oh man. I I, I I well and that's the thing. Like I, I finished listening to that and I was like, I need to I need to get this back on the calendar. I need to talk to this dude because I want I there's so much I well <laughs> I have a lot of questions, but I like I've tried to sit down and write a book about 90 times. In fact, the last time I sat down to write a book, I've been doing this podcast thing for how many years, Ryan? Since what 2016? Since right? Well, this particular iteration since 2019, but 2016 is when we, when I started. Yeah.
3: You did the earlier episodes. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, I've (laughs) been doing this for good Lord years now. Um, but what's funny is I started writing that book and that's what changed the, the podcast completely because before it was very political and all of that, but I wrote down, I started writing my book and in it i quoted jack kerouac which is where i get the the name of the mad ones from because i love that quote I love from the, i i i haven't read the whole book but that <clears> one <throat> quote you know the only people for me are the mad ones those who are mad to live mad to talk mad to be saved desirous of everything at the same time the ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing but burn 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 like fabulous yellow roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars hmm. Oh, it just hits me. And so I, Mm. I, I, I was doing the introduction to this book and I was like, this is what I need to be doing. I need to be talking to the mad ones, the ones who never yawn, you know? And so like every day I, I, I need to sit down and write, but God's given me a voice for some reason. And he's like, you know, you know, use this thing for now. We'll figure out the writing thing later, even though you're called to write as well. Um, but sure. dude, I, I was like so stoked to talk to you. And I'm like, like, I'm not even joking. In my introduction, I was like, I want to be friends with him. And that's not a joke. I I I I want to learn from you, brother. Um but I have Same. a question because I wrote, like I said, I studied screenwriting in school before I did biblical studies. Um, and you know, so I've written plenty of scripts. Um, and the only ones that have been made are the ones I made myself. <laughs> they weren't good because I'm not a director, I'm a screenwriter. <laughs> that's okay (laughs) you know um I mean they were it was fine but it's like I I would much rather write but what what's what's hard for me was I would sit down and write and I'm writing out my own story and what 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 tended to happen was I would be sitting and writing something that was outlandish fantastical but it would have that part of me that God was working on and so, like I would be, I would be going through this story and these emotions and these actions and all these things that I thought I wanted to do. And then at the end of my script, at the end of my story, I would have learned a lesson that God was teaching me. And then I would never, I wouldn't finish it because I learned what I needed to learn. And you know, maybe someone else will one day. Maybe I'll get back to it. Um, but I have to know, having written scripts and only having one made, and I was the dumb dumb who made it. Um, what is it like writing a feature length script and having someone make it and have Jack Bauer be in that movie? Like it's wild. like how did how how did you feel as you did that as it came to fruition? because, you know, like I said, I've only ever done it myself, and I would not do it again. <laughs>
2: yeah well, you know it was exciting and and um, and he wa- he wasn't famous at the time when hes when we started that movie. yeah, his father it, was. yeah, it was out. I think I mean, but it hadn't become it hadn't won the Emmy. <laughs> in fact, it won the Emmy right around the time right before right before the movie was coming out. So when we were shooting it, yeah, obviously I know we knew Keith southern but he wasn't as <laughs> famous. And and actually Mark Strong is more famous right. than him. He we, he started out in our movie, right? Dude, so I, we we had a great cast. Was that his cast. first movie? Not no not his first movie, okay, but I think okay. it was one of his breakouts <laughs> from there you know that he he got more american I think, movies.
0: I started watching uh that last night. I haven't finished it yet because I fell asleep because I'm an old man. Um but uh I saw Mark Strong and I'm like I love this dude. Yeah, he's I, a great like, actor. Like I we in, got- in the the idea of the church without walls. I mean I haven't yeah. gotten past like haven't gotten past that but that, that just that idea the church without walls. Yeah, yeah, Oh, I love it so much. You know, ecclesia, the gathering. I, I, oh, yeah, beautiful. well,
2: you know, the thing about that is is um you know, I did I I'm not really a, um I don't want to say the bad word. I'm not really a star movie star worshipper type of guy. I right. don't really care much about him. Um and you know, I did meet him but but it was more exciting to meet the um, there were actors who had acted in Akira Kurosawa movies, mm. he was a famous Japanese director did The Seven Samurai and and right. movies like that there that was cool meeting them oh, yeah. but my most my most encouraging moment my most um because I, w- I was there for some of the shooting you know um my most exciting moment was <laughs> uh i was sitting in the canteen tent was a small little place you know and there's all these extras and they don't tell extras about the script they just tell them you know you're you're prisoners of war do this or that right so they're like I'm in there getting a snack and there's a handful of them there and they're like, they're talking, and they're like, what is this movie about anyway, right? And I'm like, well, I wrote it, so uh, let me tell you. And I got to share the gospel with all these extras and it was just oh, really man. fun. Wow. and That's cool. You know, awesome. um, and honestly, that was like the most, one of the most meaningful experiences that I had there, you know? And I did hear that, you know, some of the Christian actors or, or Christians who were on the set, uh, did you know, they shared with the, several of the lead actors, including Kiefer and stuff. And that was kind of cool um but uh it was exciting but it making a movie is very boring actually yeah it, uh, because it, it you know it's not like you see it on the big screen it's actually more boring in real life it's weird but um and a lot of stuff is just talking you know maybe you might do an exciting stunt or something occasionally but a lot of it's not it's just you know shooting walking around doing this and that and um uh and they redo many takes and then they have equipment problems so you're sitting around So there's a lot of if you're not if you're not involved you're just sitting around waiting and almost nothing happens most of the time so well even if you are involved
0: like I, I I've taken part in a couple of um, feature films and you know I was I had my little job and it was it was just I don't want to do that it's awful but yeah. there is one I, I won't retell the story but Ryan will know what I'm talking about there was one time I worked you could on retell the story on a film with a specific actor who I now would fight if I if I had the chance. no I, I really wouldn't fight him but Sean Astin
3: ah. freaking Sean Astin man
0: <laughs> have I told you that story uh
1: Coop you 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 brought it up the last time I was on the show but I you need to regale everybody with it again but just keep it the short version keep it short and funny it was hilarious and I <laughs>
0: Yeah so uh, I'll tell you this real quick um this is a a common feature and it's been on part of my show for the last what 8 years um on and off uh but I was called because I look I used to have longer hair right now. I'm growing it back. Uh, But uh, I I looked like just a biker. Oh, right. I have a motorcycle. I I looked the part I got called and uh, it was, I forget who directed the film, but they were like, Hey, we need um, actors. We need featured extras Mm. to play. Motorcycle club members and I was like okay yeah I can do that they're like they want you to be in the front because you've got the long hair you've got the long beard you've got the the look whatever and I'm like cool um and I get there and I meet Sean Astin and I'm starstruck because I love Lord of the Rings there's there is nothing no movies I love more on this planet than the Lord of the Rings except for maybe Braveheart which is horribly historically inaccurate by the way uh but um, I meet Sean Aston. He's like, Hey, can I ride your motorcycle? I just put some, some new parts on it. Um, I was very happy with my motorcycle at that point in my life. And, uh, he said, I, I've been working with Harley. I'm insured. I would love to ride your bike. I just think it's the best looking bike out here. It's like in my head, I was like, no, 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 no. no. But outside I was like starstruck. I was like, okay. <laughs> Sean Aston took my motorcycle and rode it around to the point where, When we went to the set, the other, the second, the secondary location to actually start shooting, he was still riding my motorcycle and excuse my French here. It's just the common parlance. Um, I had to ride bitch with someone I didn't know to the set and I was not happy about that. Um, in general, cause I've never done that before. I've never right. been in that situation before. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I get there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I get a call from my friend who's a PA and he says, Hey, they want you to come back and get your bike. Sean wants to give it back to you. Um, uh, whatever. And I was like, okay, come pick me up. Let me get my bike We're riding back. And he goes, I have bad news. And I was like, I'm not going to be featured extra anymore. And he goes, well, yeah, there's that and I was like what do you I was like it's more than that and he's like yeah there's there's more than that and he said yeah you were since you didn't have your bike you were late and so you don't get to be a featured extra anymore you don't get to be in the scene and I was very frustrated I was frustrated but I was like but fine just take me to my bike let me go home um and he goes but uh Sean was riding your bike and he dropped it and I was like what I just put part, I put like $400 worth of parts on this stupid oh, bike.
2: There, that, that's what you get for star effing.
0: Right? I don't do it anymore. I do not do that anymore. Um, but no, so I, I I I got back in and I was like, just give me my keys. Let me go. He goes, no, Sean wants to give you your keys back and he wants to apologize. I'm like, oh, that's a stand up thing. How great. Uh, maybe he'll throw me whatever he messed up in cash so I can fix it. Right? Right. I get there, Sean Astin, uh, I, I walk up and I look at my bike before I see him. I go to his trailer and literally out of the, like nine out of 10 of the parts that I had just put on were scuffed and messed up. Oh. So mad, mm. so mad. And so yeah. I walk up and I knock on the trailer. Sean Aston comes out and he goes, oh, here are your keys. And I was like, he's gonna apologize. He's gonna offer pay for this. You know, I just put these things on myself. I'm very proud of it. Um, and he goes, this dude looks at me Brian. And he says, Hey, let me ask you a question. Thanks for letting me ride your bike, by the way. Um, uh, here's a question when you're riding and you come to a stop, what do you do so that the motorcycle doesn't fall down (laughs) when you come to a stop? And I said, Oh. Oh
2: my God.
0: And I said, well, Sean, you put your feet, those things below you that are holding you up right now, you put them on the ground and then it doesn't fall.
2: Oh my god! At least if he would have wiped out on gravel or something, but like something stupid ass like that, oh. it was so
0: stupid. And this dude <laughs> pretended like it didn't happen. He See, acted like it was full on hypothetical, and I was like, "Okay, what I'm leaving."
2: You, so what you learned is is that all the stars are assholes. Yes, all of them. <laughs> one, all of them. Yes, one hundred percent. Keanu Reeves, but Except other than Keanu. Keanu Reeves, all of them are assholes. They really are in one way or another. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's horrible to work with those people.
0: I, I'm just saying, man, like, uh, I loved you, Sean Astin, but you, you cannot ruin yeah. Lord of the Rings. You cannot ruin Lord of the Rings.
3: They'll always be Rudy to me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
2: There's a good it redemption good Rudy, story. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Goonies <laughs> so yeah, never say die.
2: Yeah. So, that's true.
0: so if you don't know my story, that's the the last time I'm going to tell it this year. If someone asks about it sure. again, it'll be a year. I'm going to call you out on that again.
1: when you try to tell it again.
0: <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying. I, I feel like You're I needed to tell asking, Brian man. my story. I mean, that was cool. It's very it's very <laughs>
1: apropos. It really
0: is. Uh, but no, I I I appreciate you so much for coming on and being. Um, you know just candid and talking about all these things i'm super interested in you and your work and what you're doing and i'm going to read all of those books dude and i i hope you know that i'm going to message you when different parts hit me really oh, deeply
2: please do no really I, I do respond to all my um fan mails or whatever can you i want to call them can read i just emails. say
0: the funniest thing happened with you was i messaged you about the show and you were the first person I've ever messaged uh, outside of like my click or whatever, that kind of knew who I was when I messaged you. It was so funny to me. I was like, wait, oh, you saw the Tucker thing. How cool.
3: <laughs> ah, I forgot about that. Oh, good old Tucker,
0: man. That, yeah. Finally, yeah, that's- finally found that. yeah. Um, thank you. So I have so many more questions. I'm going to want to pick your brain some more. And honestly, I, I really do want to figure out how to do something and work with you on, on something. Cause I'm, I mean, you can say no, but, um, (laughs) I, am just saying I am so interested in what you've done and I'd love to pick your brain more. It's on the show later for sure. If not anything else. Well,
2: You know, um, uh, my latest movie just came out. Maybe if you want to hand me on again later, uh, I don't know if it's still around, but my latest movie came out. It's called my son Hunter i i've seen i saw you tweet about about this it is the is the movie made the uh it's a political satire it's not a documentary about (laughs) hunter biden's laptop and i wrote (laughs) it and it's my baby i my idea my i wrote it and uh I'm, i'm proud of the writing um it was it was a low budget movie and um you know i had some creative differences shall we say with the with uh the director and producers but um Anyway, you can you can watch that at mysonhunter dot and it's it's actually being uh, distributed by Breitbart, but it okay. is very political and all that kind of stuff. So if you don't want to talk about politics, that's fine with me. I don't
0: care. Oh no, but, we can talk about that. I, 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 I wanted to I, ask about that. I was curious when I yeah. saw it. Yeah, just
3: so I thought, you know, wait, like some I, Breitbart documentary about yeah no the no no. And then I saw your name, and I went, "Wait, what?" Yeah. Now I'm interested.
2: We we made the movie, and then they found a distributor. So basically, it's like they you know they would go around to what. What conservative powerhouses are there out there who could help us distribute? Because the people who made this movie, they're just little independent filmmakers, you know, and and uh, so they didn't, we didn't have distribution. And the best one they found, and Breitbart has a big, audience, huge audience, right? So, uh, so yeah, Breitbart was willing to take it up. And, yeah, they make it look like it's their movie, but they, they're just distributing it.
0: Yeah. I, well, I'm definitely going to watch it because, I mean, I don't do... I don't necessarily do political stuff on this show anymore or in life in general. Yeah. I'm just kind of f- full on in the kingdom right now. That's where I am. Um, says the but, guy who
3: was on Tucker Carlson just recently. It. true.
0: I was in Tucker. I was on, I was on, I, I was on in front well, of also <laughs> I'm essentially the, um, the co host of the propaganda report where I make fun of Hunter Biden every chance I get. So, I mean, it's like, oh, okay. it's, it's like, yeah, I don't do it here, but yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm all about, uh, bringing out the lies and showing where the lies are.
2: Yeah, well this the, the thing about the movie is though it's you know it's done very creatively. I you know it's it because it's a lot of information that would be boring and I'm about entertaining. And so <laughs> we could talk a lot about the creativity yeah. of it it'd be fine. I,
0: I am 100% down to talk about yeah. that. And I need to watch it. But uh yeah, no that that video of him in the sauna, did you see that one? No. Oh boy. This I had some fun with that one.
2: Oh, oh. You probably know more about it than I do.
0: Hunter's I got, gross.
2: After I finished <laughs> writing it, I moved on to other stuff. And like, I don't want to hear any more about Hunter Biden. <laughs>
0: <laughs> moved on quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on. Um, do you have any Thanks other questions guys. you no, guys want to ask?
2: Just, other than just to tell people, you know, um, all my books are in audio, paperback, and um, Kindle on Amazon exclusively. And um yeah and you, uh,
0: I will say you can grab a copy of um Noah Primeval in all of those forms in the description so it'll be on the website it'll be yeah. below me in uh below us in YouTube rockfin etc
2: and then my my website which is gadawa.com my name A.com. I it's a it's a I I I make it a uh, I try to make it an interesting entertaining website not just informative so I've got a lot of interesting things there like for instance I cast my novels I have little pictures that that I that I find for the characters and and uh, tell a little bit about characters for most all the novels and such and so and then also a lot of scholarly articles that that I refer to in my research. Uh, that you can still get for free and stuff, and stuff. And there's also some free books, uh, online books that you can get digital um, in in some of the some of those as well. So, yeah, all if you want to look saying, at, find out more about me, go there.
0: All I'm saying is, if you don't use me as some villain at some point, I'm going to be truly disappointed,
2: dude. The writer has nothing. <laughs> the writer has no power is not known. Nobody even knows I wrote that movie barely.
0: <laughs> no, no. I'm talking about like, uh, for your, you said you cast your stories. Your oh, novels. oh, yeah. I'm yeah, just saying, it. I'm got just it. saying I need to be a, a villain. Cause that's Sim, send me there. your headshots.
2: He,
1: he needs to be like, he needs to be like Gilgamesh's high priest or something.
0: Yeah. One of those really, something
3: really cool. One of those really
1: flamboyant
0: characters. <laughs> uh, uh, I have one more big question for you. Sure. Uh, but before we do that, Ryan, Coop, do you have any questions that you'd like to clear up with Brian before we do? I wanted to ask
3: about that, that Hunter Biden thing. What I realized that Go was him, it. but no, no, I, he, he just talked about it. So we're good. Cool. <laughs>
1: um, uh, let's see. I wrote down a few things, but really, I, I really I thank you for being taking this time with us. Um, sure. you really answered a lot of the questions I had and, I really pray that um, it'd be awesome. We live in the days when Dr. Michael Heiser is like the superstar of theology right now, and God bless him. He has
0: cancer right now. Oh man, yeah, keep keep
1: him in prayers. Please uh, do, please do do pray. But it would be so wonderful now to see your books get picked up into like series. But uh, but that is a not going to happen. Too expensive. Too expensive.
2: (laughs) Too Christian for Hollywood and too expensive. You know. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: But uh, but no yeah you really uh, did such a thorough job I really thank you I mean, thanks you, you answered most of
0: the questions I would have had awesome um, yeah no I gotta man I'm I'm so excited to get into Enoch now which by the way I also just want to do an episode with you talking about ancient cosmology because that's one of my my loves right now and also the concept of Sheol all of that like seeing you put it into reality was so fascinating to me um I love I I love all of that and the one point that I was going to make earlier and I've talked to Coop about this before um which I'm going to call you Coop exclusively now that's just completely
1: fine everybody else in my entire military career
0: and whatnot yeah it's a great nickname man (laughs) (laughs) but um, just call me God I was. Just kidding. Well, no, that's what's funny is like I, I, I haven't talked. I think I may have talked to Coop about this, but we definitely talked about how I believe the word hell is such a an unhelpful word. Yes, I, and agree. I think I, I think, agree. I think God is also one of those that borders on unhelpful yeah. and soul 100 percent unhelpful. Yeah. Yeah. um and you know I, I love talking about the the those finer details and so yes. if you ever are interested in that kind of conversation let me know so um, to
1: these modern rational people soul is like this uncorporeal thing. but to these ancient people this is every bit mystical too yeah and, you know that's absolutely that's what's awesome I mean, about your work very well put
2: very well put yeah. yeah
0: well let me ask you the big question we do this on every episode Uh, When I rebranded it as the Mad Ones, um, it was in the midst of the COVID response that the government had. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Um, And, you know, I I had a lot of people that I knew that uh, devolved into a horrible life depression. I've had, I had friends who, who killed themselves. I had people who, who, who lost all sorts of things. And so there was a lot of desperation going on. And I noticed in my friend groups, there was a lot of frustration and I was like, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the solution to that, which is hope. And, you know, obviously the ultimate hope is the resurrection of the body in the end and the, the marriage of heaven and earth. Um, but what I like to do on this show is to leave everyone with a little bit of hope. And so uh, I like to ask every person who comes on uh, what something it can be in your life very personally, it can be global, it can be state level, whatever, it can be anything, what's something right now in your life that gives you hope and motivation to carry on? What's your silver lining?
2: Hmm. Well, the easy route is my wife because my wife yeah. is you know I, truly the, the love of my life um but she's uh when all else sucks you know she loves me um we don't have any kids so she's all i got i'll give you life. some yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've seen your kids they look cute though <laughs> um so uh i'm sure they're little they're little demons at times right <laughs> they can be angels and demons yeah, they're, they're but, little little trouble, uh, yeah little but,
0: Azazels. yeah yeah. <laughs> little azazels, yeah
2: so i mean and that's real i mean i really mean that because um you know i work so hard and and um uh she's there she's a lot of my happiness and such yeah but also she's the best example of christ's sacrificial love and giving to people so you know that's that's i really mean that but of course it's that's the easy one we should we should all say that if we're married right right but um but it really is true but you know, I was just talking to another brother about this today, and and I would have to say that the thing that the thing that dry, has driven my whole life with passion for vision and uh, um, is the kingdom of God. And what I mean by that is like that we are a part of a kingdom, and this is Daniel, right? Daniel two. We are part of a kingdom that is is. Growing to fill the earth, right, and yeah. it will be victorious, as Daniel says. It will be victorious, and um, uh, and we'll be a part of that, and uh, and so my understanding of how that's what we're a part of, you know, the Danielic kingdom of God on earth, and His. It, is church, his people are the ones that it grows through, and all that stuff. Well, that's that's the thing that pull, drives me. That's the, the 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 higher cause that I'm that I'm committed to. That that keeps me going. That gives me meaning in my life. And I even look, I even have Christians in my life who who are like struggling with finding meaning. You know, So, like, oh, God's my yeah. job, and yeah. you know, they go to church and they pray, they read the Bible, but it's just like, oh, you know, I just I'm looking for. I can't tell you I have Christians, you know, just feel empty, and I feel like I need a purpose. I'm like what?
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> right?
2: You're, you're part of the kingdom of God, do something, get a vision to do something, you know, for right. the kingdom. And, and that's where you find that meaning and purpose. And all my stories are, of course, about that. So as I'm writing, I'm studying the Bible, sometimes five hours a day, six hours a day, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged in that sense. But even before I was doing that, you know, that, that, that the fact that we are part of a victorious kingdom of God, is the is that hopeful and especially through these hard times it gets so bad that you just go man uh, you know
0: yeah can, I feel you. Can it get any worse? right so, uh, yeah so. it's be, it's beautifully already but not yet. yeah and and I I'm, I'm in full agreement with you on that. like I said I, I used to do a lot more um, political stuff and I don't anymore because kingdom man. freaking kingdom yeah uh and that's that's why i love being able to hang out with uh ryan and coop digitally at this point um but it's these are people that that think and they they exercise the kingdom and uh man it's so beautiful We, we jesus used a lot of jubilee language when he was on earth yeah and that is where we should be living is in the kingdom in the jubilee yeah so thank you so much for coming on i want to talk again i want to talk more um i appreciate you very much uh like like you said before um i'll go ahead and give them a rundown if you would like to read noah primeval or any of his other books that he has self-published they're on kindle and kindle unlimited you can read them for free yeah um if you have audible i mean by all means get a free um subscription to that and get the free book and r- listen to him read Noah Primeval. It's well worth it. Um, and so all of the links that I have, which are my, um, what's, what's the word, uh, associate links or whatever. So I yeah. get a little cash off of it. If you buy it through <laughs> those links So go to those, um, those are below. Um, if you'd like to check out his Twitter and what he's doing, I don't know how often he uses it, but you can do that at Brian Godawa. That's where I got in touch with you. So,
2: Oh, that's true. But Facebook, I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm more on Facebook than I would be on Twitter, but
0: yeah. Yeah, Um, and also you can go to Godawa.com. Like I said, all these links are down below again. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll let you go get back to the light of your life (laughs) and your love. And, uh, thank you. I appreciate you. you guys. See ya. All right, so for the rest of you, I have to do the cleanup. Got to do the things. So uh Coop's going to come back for a couple episodes. I don't know how many. I'm just sending the people that I, I gel with well and are smart. It's like Ryan and, and Cody and everyone. Like if anyone wants to be a part of the show that's, you know, uh, don't, Mom, don't send me. pee Steve said everyone text cam a sean Astin gif and my my mother said done not okay uh but no so we're gonna have some really cool stuff and i wanted to go ahead and let people know what's going on with that um if i can find my document where i have everything written down um there it is okay so next week okay i don't know if you know this ryan i think you know this coop uh but i we talked to a guy named nick Quint. Um, a month or two ago about women in the ministry and if they have a place in it and he took the proposition that women should be brought into the ministry and I decided let's find a hardline Calvinist let's find someone who disagrees vociferously and let's have him do a rebuttal and so next week, I'm going to be talking to a guy I know from college, a friend named Nick Potts, who works for the Gospel Forum, and he's gonna he's gonna disagree. And so we're gonna do that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hear his case. I think it's worth hearing both cases and not having a debate because de- I don't like debates. I'm not into that. Um.
1: <laughs> debates are pointless. De- can a debate affect the truth? No, it cannot. <laughs> no, it cannot.
0: And so after that uh, Nick's actually going to come the next night uh, because I asked him to come on because not only um, did he have that stance, but previously he was a universalist and he has gone away from universalism and I want to hear his best case for universalism and is why he decided that that wasn't the case. And so he's going to be coming right after that. And then we, I have Naomi Wright coming on and I'm like, I'm not sure, but I feel like Jessica might be coming back for that one. I don't know. Uh, but she – her dad was a cult leader. He started his own cult, polygamous cult, and uh, she got out of that life after a while, and she's still Christian, which is wild. Because most of the time, like when we talk to Ben Brown, who was uh, part of a Mormon polygamous cult, um, he he's definitely not Mormon or Christian or what anything now but she 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 kept with the faith and that fascinates me um and then after that coop's coming back we're going to be talking to uh our boy is centric israel petty about uh, he is a self-described um paranormal researcher and demonologist this was going to be an october episode but i took a break we're going to do it it's going to be fun um beyond that get
1: ready because it's going to be weird
0: <laughs> I hope so. This one was weird. Let's make it weirder. Um, it's gonna be super weird. It's gonna be I a hope lot of so. fun. It's gonna be super fun. <laughs> um, Ryan, you were on Twitter at technoagorist. Uh is there do you want if you want to listen to his show that he hasn't done in a while, you can go to technoagorist.com. It's a
3: long time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's been a it's been a hot minute. Come on, um, man. Is there, <laughs> is there anything else you want people to know? I d I don't think there is, but you can no, go to not really. what's your what's your website, how to pray in tongues dot com.
3: <laughs> from a long time ago. Let's just stick with techno on Twitter.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, and then Coop is, of course, on TikTok. That's where I met him. That's where he does a lot of work. He's also on Instagram. Uh, he's yeah. not on Twitter, which I don't understand.
1: I don't, Bro. you know, that's a real debate sphere, Dude,
0: and I'm an angry enough
1: person as it it's, is. You probably see, but, couldn't tell from this episode. <laughs> it's not,
0: so it's it's only a debate fear if you choose to be that way you can just mock people and have fun you lie that's what i do <laughs> you lie <laughs> i'm just kidding. i have that's so me. much fun on that dagum website I mean, um hey, but you can good. find yeah, we'll anywhere see. at the muted flag that's right and you, uh, you have a YouTube channel? Is that up yet? Yes. Or?
1: It, no, I do have a YouTube channel. It does not I'm at ninety-three subscribers. I do not have a nice. you, I do not have a unique URL, but if you search my channel, the muted flag on YouTube, you will see it. And I'm gonna be starting to put out some YouTube specific content here pretty soon. So
0: guys, uh, how many did you said ninety-three?
1: Ninety-three, seven short. And okay.
0: <laughs> thanks, bro. Seven, seven. <laughs> six, all, six all so
1: I get a unique URL.
0: All of you who are listening. Go and follow, subscribe to his YouTube channel so we can get a unique URL. I remember when I got mine, I was so thrilled, dude.
1: I'm going to have to do the PewDiePie 100 special. You know, I'm going to have to play Call of Duty and, and just be like, yeah, hey, I got a hundred. subscribers."
0: <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, at the muted flag everywhere. Uh, for me, patreon.com slash the mad ones if you want to help keep this thing going. If you want to keep the coffers full and let us help us pay for all of the dumb things I have to pay for, which... Luckily, I have a good friend in Ryan who helps with a lot of this stuff, and I'm truly grateful for Ryan. Um, Patreon.com slash The Mad Ones. I will be resurrecting monthly um, Zoom hangouts, parties, games, etc., very soon. So uh, Patreon.com slash The Mad Ones for that. I will be dropping a new tank top, um, which I think is funny. I just love the tank tops uh, but no it's 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 a tank top that i designed um in conjunction with brad binkley from the propaganda report because mm. there's an inside joke that we're we are black tank top bros in the black tank top club because of something that happened very early on when we started working together and everyone talks about it that's a fan of that show and so now you're going to be able to be a part of it and have a really Pretty cool looking tank top that I des- I designed. Uh, but if you want that or any of the shirts that I have designed, my wife has designed one that is more female centric, you can go to wearethemadones.com. store. I, of course, am on Twitter most of the day at hamcarless because Justin Trudeau's a little butthole, and I lost at Cam Harless. I'm on TikTok at Cam Harless. You don't have to go there. I don't I don't do much there. I just talk to my buddies on tiktok and make fun of Judaizers. um if you're listening you can watch weekly thursdays 8:30 p.m eastern time on youtube.com slash the mad ones um ryan you have to give me the odyssey or let me into odyssey so i can continue live streaming there because i got kicked out and i don't know really? how to get on it said it sent you an email but um so this week probably not on odyssey um but we're also on rockfin we're on it will automatically upload to rumble if you want to watch you can basically anywhere you want to um if you would rather listen every podcatcher or we are the mad um or you can actually no you can't anymore i was gonna say my project with ryan but i'm pretty sure that that website doesn't work anymore <laughs>
3: Yeah, no, we took (laughs) that down for the time being, so eventually it'll come back up and it'll be automated and it'll work a lot better, but
0: man, not yet. Well, I appreciate the both of you. Um, I'm glad you both got to come because you both had questions that I didn't have and thoughts that I didn't have. And I love when there's a collaborative sense of filling the gaps because I'm just like ancient cosmology. Let's please talk about ancient cosmology and y'all are like movies and writing. And I'm like, perfect, this is great wonderful uh thank you both for coming on having me on (sighs) absolutely we're gonna i'll figure out i don't know if there's anything i'll show you my list of episodes coming up if you're interested in any of them ryan just let me know um but thank you the rest of you Uh, i'm gonna close this out now because everything is done um as always my good friends you have a chance to be a light in the world so go light it up